0: Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are, the creator of the universe. And we thank you for this season of year in which we remember Jesus' coming And look forward to his coming again. God, we pray this morning that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. That you would open our hearts. That we might receive your message. And we pray that in this day, that we might lift you up as the one true and living God. In every aspect of our lives, our thoughts, our words, and our actions. That all around us might glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. I'm Pastor Chris. I'm the lead pastor here. For those of you who are new, we're glad you came today. We welcome you in the name of our Lord Jesus. As you may be able to tell from that intro video, we're in a new series. It's called The Great Adventure. And uh, what you probably don't know is that Pastor Brad and I, the worship pastor and I, uh, every summer we sit down and we plan the message series from September all the way through to the following August. And every year the most challenging series of the year is this one. The Advent slash Christmas series. And the reason it's challenging is because it's sort of the same every year. You know, Christmas comes every December 25th. This is my 32nd year preaching Advent Christmas sermons. And, you know, the same thing happens every year. Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem. There's never any room for them in the end. Every year Jesus is born in a manger, you know, and nobody knows about it. All the people that should know about it, all the, you know, the kings and everybody that should know about it, nobody knows The only people that know are the shepherds out in the fields. The guys that can't even give testimony in a court of law. Makes no sense. They get told by angels. So add to that that in much of the world where Jesus is worshiped, this season is called Advent, which means coming. Well, he already came. So Pastor Brad and I were talking, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then I said, you know, Brad, I looked up the word Advent and, and I found out that the word Advent came into being before the word adventure. What if the word Advent is the reason for the word adventure? That an adventure is a new, exciting experience. Well, what if Jesus' first coming was a new and exciting experience that led to the idea that we all can live in adventure? And so that's what we're going to do during this Advent season. From now till the end of 2015, every weekend plus Christmas Eve, we're going to be talking about this great adventure. Today it's going to be called He's Coming, and we're going to go back to the first coming, and we're going to look at John the Baptist. And how he pronounced that Jesus was going to be coming. That the kingdom of God was near. And then next week we're going to talk about uh, the overall theme for this fall here at New Life has been you are here. And we talked about we all start somewhere. And hopefully all of us find uh, ourselves in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we move forward in that relationship. So we move from where we are to the next step and the next step. So next week's message is titled you are here or are you? In other words, are we really followers of Jesus? Many of us say we are, but what does that look like? And we're going to look at a very specific scripture where Jesus tells us that it may may not be as obvious as we think it is that we are followers of Jesus. And then the next week we're going to go back to the first coming again. We're going to talk about the road to Bethlehem. We're going to talk about Mary and Joseph and, and what it took for them to trust God enough for Jesus to be born. And then the week before Christmas, we're going to talk about the road home, I mean really home, to heaven. We're going to talk about what's it going to be like when Jesus comes back. And then on Christmas Eve, we're going, to, we're going to ask this question, are you ready? The first century world wasn't ready for Jesus' first coming. Is the 21st century world ready for Jesus' second coming? And then on the last weekend of the year, we're going to turn to the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and what we're going to do then is we're going, to, we're going to reprise this He's coming that we're doing today. But we're not going to talk about the first coming anymore. We're going to talk about the second coming as the book of Revelation talks about it. So I'm really I'm enthusiastic about this series because I believe God's going to do a great thing and take us from wherever we are today uh, to maybe hopefully a bunch of steps forward in this great adventure that God designed for each of us before the foundation of the universe. Before we get to Matthew chapter 3, which is where we're going to turn today to find about John the Baptist, let's look at the take-home point. And for those of you who are new, we seek to make one point every week. Usually the take-home point is sort of an action idea that we're going to go home and do something. This is more of a reflective take-home point. And what it says is this, Jesus' first coming was announced with fire and brimstone. Jesus came the first time, and John the Baptizer, who announced his coming, thought Jesus was only coming one time. He thought the Messiah was only coming one time. And therefore, when John was preaching his message in the wilderness about this coming Messiah and the coming of the kingdom of God, he thought it was a coming time of judgment. We're going to read about that today. What John didn't realize is that Jesus was going to come twice. That he came the first time not to judge the world, but to bring salvation to the world. And the second time is a time of judgment. So, Jesus coming, excuse me, Jesus coming, is, was announced with fire and brimstone. We're going to, let's just get right to it. Matthew chapter 3, if you have your Bible, you'll want to turn there. Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1 on your Bible app. If you don't have one, it'll be up on the screen. What we're going to do is take a little slice of it at its time, and we're going to work our way through from Matthew 3, 1 to verse 12. And this is what God's Word says. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching, His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So, repent. I don't know if you remember, if you're as old as I am or a little older, you might remember that a lot of preachers back in our day, when we were little kids, we came to church, they used to say, repent! Whoa, it was about that loud. About that loud. You know, and when I went home from church many, many times, I felt like I was a worm and I was looking for some dirt to eat, you know, because that's what it was like a lot of times in church. And the truth of the matter is, the word repent is a Greek word, from a Greek word metanoia, which literally means to change our mind or to change our way of thinking. It can mean to turn around and take a new course. And what John knew and what he proclaimed here when he said repent is nobody is ready for the kingdom of God without a change of direction. Nobody can be ready for the kingdom of God without a change of direction. Because our ancient ancestors, Adam and Eve, sinned, turned against the direction of God in their lives and chose their own direction, all of us are pointed to sort of off course as at the time of our birth. And as we grow up, we have to come to a point of turning around and turn to God And and because the kingdom of God requires that. And that's what John talked about uh, quite often. And, And the interesting thing is, John didn't say repent because the Messiah is coming. Repent because Jesus is coming. He said repent because the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God was going to break into the world. What John believed, and it's true because all the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament proclaims this, is that God is going to send an an anointed one, that's what Messiah means, one who would be his appointed deliverer, who would reestablish Israel as the central nation on the planet, and that everybody would see what it was like in the days of King David, the golden age of Israel, and God's kingdom would be present everywhere. And that's what John proclaimed. Now, interesting thing is, Jesus proclaimed the very same thing. When Jesus started his earthly ministry, many years after John, well, actually, only a, a little while after John started his ministry, what Jesus said, found in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, is this From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent of your sins, huh, and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Word for word, what John said. Repent, turn away from your sins, turn back to God. Now John's message was spot on. It had to be because it was from the Old Testament. It was a a collection of teachings and John knew the Old Testament. He might have known it by heart. I know that's hard for us to believe, but he might have known the whole Old Testament by heart. And he knew that from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Malachi, that God had said this time was coming when the kingdom of God would be restored. And then this is what it says... That John was the fulfillment of an Old Testament scripture, too. It says the prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. So John. I think John liked his job. John shouted, he screamed, and he especially liked to scream at religious people, the church people. We're going to find that out in just a few verses here, but the Pharisees, we've all heard about the Pharisees. If you ever came to church, you heard about the Pharisees. They're the people that didn't like Jesus. They're the people that got Jesus turned over to the Romans to be crucified, but they were the religious elite in his day, and the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, another group of religious people, they came out, we're going to see in a moment, to um, talk to, or not to talk to, but just watch what was happening when John was out there, and John had some Some pretty strong words for them. But John was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. In fact, John was Elijah. Uh, The reason I say that is because it, it says this. The next verse reads. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel's hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food he ate locusts and wild honey. Okay, that's a little weird, isn't it? Camel's hair for your clothing, you eat locusts and wild honey. But that was what Elijah did too. And what what John was saying, both by the way he dressed, by what he ate, and certainly by his message, I am fulfilling all of these teachings from the Old Testament. He's coming. He's coming. The Messiah. He's coming to reestablish Israel as the center of reality. Now, John was right. But he didn't know there were two steps to this Jesus guy. He only thought there was one step. But the thing that happened was, it's very interesting as we read next, it says, people from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Think about it, they lived in a day when there were no televisions, there were no telephones, there were no newspapers, there were no means of mass communication, and yet we're told that people from Jerusalem, from all of Judea, and from the Jordan River Valley, all came out to John, who was out there by the Jordan River baptizing people. And and how in the world did that happen? Well, you see, in every age, in every age, there are people who are waiting for the fulfillment of what God said. In in that age, what they were waiting for was the fulfillment of of God's promise to send a Messiah. And so people heard and by word of mouth, one after the next, after the next, they heard in Jerusalem and all over Judea, all of the nation of Israel, that that, that the the proclaimer of the Messiah, a new prophet had arisen. And so they went out and it says, as they listened to the message, they were, it doesn't say this, but they were convicted of their sins in their heart. And so they repented, they turned away and they confessed their sins and they were baptized. Baptized. That baptism, John's baptism, was a baptism of repentance to show that they had turned away from sin and back to God and that their sins actually, what is baptism? It's water, so it shows cleansing. It shows that they were ready now for this great adventure, for the kingdom of God to come. Now, as we already said, there were a group of people that came out that John was ready for. It says, but when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, notice it says, they didn't come out to get baptized. They came out to watch him baptized. The Pharisees were religious leaders who believed that there was a resurrection. They believed that there were angels. They believed in the spiritual world beyond, beyond what we can see. The Sadducees, on the other hand, didn't believe in the resurrection, and I always say, that's why they were see. Okay, some of you will get it on the way home, but most of you already got it. Okay, so, and it says, when he watched them, they came to watch him baptize. He denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee from God's coming wrath? Don't you wish John could express himself a little more clearly? <laughs> you brood of snakes. This is the religious elite. These people are the best people in Israel. I mean, everybody else who was standing around, when John said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you brood of snakes, they would all have be been going, what? These, these are the good people. And John is calling them a brood of snakes, John is saying, you don't understand at all what's going on here. You're coming out here with your, you know, your black robes on, and you're all smug and everything, and your, your arms are probably crossed, and, and you're thinking that you don't need any of this. But this message is for you. And the interesting thing for all of us is, you know, we live 2,000 years later and we know everything sort of that happened from the time this happened until Jesus was born and then grew up and, you know, taught with an authority like nobody else and died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and rose from the dead and went back to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit. All of these things happen and we know that. And so that's one of the challenges about preaching about stuff that isn't supposed to have happened yet, but we already know it all did. Right. But the Pharisees were standing out there and they thought they knew everything. They thought this John was some, you know, weirdo. You know, and to be honest, if he came in the 21st century, people would think he was a weirdo, too. Right. Most people would say, hey, John, lighten up a little bit. Don't you? Didn't your mother tell you you should play well with others? You know, I mean, John didn't play well with others. I'm pretty sure. In fact, John didn't play with others. He was brought up in the wilderness. He was a he was a loner. He was in isolation working with the, the, the scriptures until the time that came that he could look out and see in the crowd the sincerity of those who knew they were sinners and the the self-righteousness of those who thought that they were good people. And what John said, which is true, is it isn't good enough to think you're good enough. It isn't good enough even to have a heritage. And this is the next thing he says. He says, prove by the way you live. That you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we are safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. So what John is saying to the Pharisees is, look, you think because you can trace your ancestry back to one of the 12 tribes, or you think that you're descended from Abraham, that that's going to get you into the kingdom of God. It's not. It's not it won't even it won't matter at all it's sort of like this over the years i've had people come to me and say well you know pastor you know i don't go to church much and i haven't really had much to do with god but my grandma she was a great christian woman my dad you know he is an awesome christian man and it's and what they're saying it's as if when i stand in front of jesus someday i'm going to say well jesus i don't really know you that much but my grandma did i don't really know you that much but my dad don't you know my dad And unfortunately, Jesus is going to say, yes, I know your dad. But who are you? You see, God doesn't have grandchildren or great-grandchildren. God only has children. And what John was saying to the Pharisees, Jesus would say to us, will say to us one day, if we don't know him personally, you can't go by your heritage. You can't go by your friends. You can't go by the church you attend. What matters is this connection that you have to the living God. And John was helping, and probably the Pharisees didn't feel like it was much help, helping them to see you can't rely on anything but God in this situation. Because here's what John was telling them. He was serious, and he thought that this judgment was coming probably the day after tomorrow. And here's what he said. Even now. The axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. Never-ending fire. That's not a pleasant image, is it? What John was saying is, when the Messiah comes, he's going to separate everybody into two groups. The one group is going to be the righteous. The other group is going to be the unrighteous. And just like in those days, a farmer, after they picked the wheat, would take their winnowing fork, a wooden fork, and they would throw the grain up in the air and the good grain seeds would come back down and the chaff would blow away. He's saying that's what it's going to be like because when He comes, when the Messiah comes, He's going to judge everybody. And and if you know Him, if you're righteous in Him, then then you're going to be saved. But if not, you're going to burn. I mean, it was literally... Literally a turn or burn message that John had. Now, the thing is, Jesus made it very clear that he didn't come the first time to judge. He didn't come the first time to judge. He came the first time to save he came the first time to seek and to save the lost. In fact, one of the Pharisees came to him at night while Jesus was doing his earthly ministry. And this guy's name was Nicodemus. And Nicodemus came and asked Jesus. In fact, he started to say to Jesus, you know, we know you're, you know, you're a good man. You're a man sent from God because you're doing all these signs and wonders. And Jesus just said, hey, let's, let's get straight to the point here, Nicodemus. Unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom of God. I mean, that's what Jesus and John came to proclaim was the kingdom of God, unless you're born again. And Nicodemus, he's an old guy. He's a very smart guy. He's, a, he's one of the smartest religious guys in the, whole, you know, in the whole nation of Israel. And he turns to Jesus. He says, what? You, you, how, how am I supposed to go back inside my mom and be born again? And Jesus, you could just see Jesus going, oh, man. <laughs> Are you serious? You're supposed to be the smartest one you, they could send to me? And you don't even know I'm talking about a spiritual birth. I'm not talking about a physical birth. We've all been born physically, but you have to be born spiritually. And this is a big deal in 21st century America and other places, right? This whole thing about being born-again Christians. And people go, oh, man, you don't want to be one of them born-again Christians. Well, I hope you do. Because if you're not born-again, you're not a Christian, A born-again Christian is a Christian Christian because Jesus said unless you're born again, you're never going to see the kingdom of heaven. You're never going to know me as Savior and Lord. And until you know me as Savior and Lord, you're not born again. Jesus' first message was a message of salvation, a message of escape from the wrath to come. Remember what John said to the Pharisees? Who warned you to flee that wrath that's coming? And Jesus came the first time to make it possible for all of us, all of us, to escape the wrath to come, whether we've been Pharisees or Sadducees or whether we've been sinners. And what I always say is there are only are sinners in the world. I mean, I don't say that. the Bible says that, and Pharisees were self-righteous sinners, and the rest of the sinners were just sinners. And Jesus came to die in the place of sinners. In fact, the interesting thing is, John thought Jesus came to be the judge. And the first time Jesus came, he didn't come to be the judge. He came to be the advocate. He came to die to pay the penalty so when the judge looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see the way we were. He sees Jesus. In fact, one day we're all going to stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ, it says. And actually, that's a whole different message for another day. We're going to stand in front of God one day. And and God the Father is going to say to us, you know, why should I let you in here into my kingdom? And if we say, well, you know, my grandma, that's the wrong answer. Well, my dad, wrong answer. Well, you know, I've been pretty good. If you want to get Christmas presents, maybe that's a good answer. But that's not a good answer. If you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, the right answer is Jesus, your son, he died in my place. He paid the penalty. He satisfied justice. And and now I understand I get mercy. (laughs) That's right. Jesus came to give us mercy, to give us grace. That was the first time. But he's coming back, and this time he will have his winnowing fork in his hand. John thought the winnowing fork was already in Jesus' hand. It wasn't. In fact, the first time we could say Jesus came with the cross in his hands. And the second time he's coming back with the winnowing fork in his hands. So, the thing that's very powerful in our lives is that we are going to leave here in a little bit, and we're going to go back out into a world that tells us a whole bunch of half-truths. Now, it's not just the world that's telling us. It's the devil is behind all these half-truths. And a half-truth is a lie that's wrapped up in some truth, so it feels true, but a half-truth is a full lie. And, and we go out into the world like, this, isn't this a beautiful set? I think it's pretty cool. Okay, yeah. Aaron and Lisa and some other people did all that. A lot of work. Anyway, let's pretend we are climbing a mountain, right? And, and this is what people out in the world tell us. This is what the devil says. You know, there's a lot of different ways to the top of the mountain, and, and we're talking about religious things, right? Every religion ha- is true. It's just that you follow anything. or don't follow anything, it doesn't really matter, right? It doesn't matter what you believe. Just believe something. That's a lie. It sort of sounds true. It sort of sounds true because wouldn't you think that if there's a God up there and he's, you know, he's for everybody. Well, he is for everybody. That's why he came in the flesh, to show us that he is. But anyway, so that's one of the lies. One of the lies is, you know, God wants us to be happy. You know where that lie leads? It leads to death. If you just pursue happiness all your life, at the end of the day, you'll be dead. And whether that pursuit is a pursuit in a, you know, just in a sense of physical pleasure, whether that's in a sense of, you know, material wealth, whether that's in a sense of power, whatever it is that you think is going to make you happy happiness is supposed to be a byproduct in our life not the end goal of our lives so that's another lie that we're told another lie that we're told is you know and this is i think some people think this is a modern one james dean in the 1950s said this live fast die young leave a pretty corpse the idea is that life doesn't really matter there's no point to it so let's just let's get it over with that's a lie it's a lie of the devil And there's a lot of truth. And the thing is, we doubt the truth and we believe lies in this culture. I'm not saying you do who are sitting here today, but I bet you some of you are. Some of you are believing lies and doubting the truth. What we need to do is we need to start doubting the lies and believing the truth. Do you realize there's more evidence for a creator than there is evidence that there wasn't a creator? In fact, there are so many books out there right now, and I'm just going to name three of them. I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, The Reason for God, and what's the third one? The Case for a Creator by Lee Strobel. If you look in those books, what they tell us is, it really only makes sort of common sense, that when you see a creation, there's probably something behind it. But scientifically speaking, this creation, this universe is so massively ordered and structured that if any little thing was out of kilter, the amount of nitrogen and oxygen balance in the atmosphere, we wouldn't be able to live here. It's so finely tuned, you know, and fine-tuning doesn't usually happen by accident. Fine-tuning happens on purpose. So, Creator, do you know that there's more evidence that Jesus rose from the dead than there is that Caesar Augustus lived? Nobody doubts that Caesar Augustus lived. But there are more secular Books that talk about Jesus' resurrection than talk about Caesar Augustus. Way more evidence than that Alexander the Great lived. And nobody doubts that Alexander the Great was a great guy. Well, he wasn't a great guy, but he was a great conqueror, right? How do we know that? Less evidence for that than there is that Jesus rose from the dead. So, if you're a doubter, I just want to say this. You're in good company. You're in very good company. Because you know who was the first doubter? John, the baptizer. John the Baptist was arrested basically because he told the truth all the time, even whenever he should have just kept his mouth shut maybe. No, he didn't. You know, He went to Herod, and Herod had taken his brother's wife and married her, and John said, hey, that's wrong, Herod, and Herod's the king. And so Herod says, well, John, it might be wrong, but you're in prison. And so he imprisoned him. And actually, that's when Jesus' ministry began was when John's ministry ended. And John was in prison. And so John couldn't really see what was going on in Jesus' ministry. What John could do is hear from, you know, the reports of his disciples. His disciples would go out and listen to Jesus. They would come back in. And, you know, so the very first thing, Jesus' early ministry, Jesus says, repent. The kingdom of God is near. And John's in his prison cell going, yes, I knew it. I was right. This is the Messiah he's gonna he's gonna do it then what happened they start getting these reports you realize he's nice to sinners you realize he hangs out with prostitutes you realize he's not nearly hard enough on the Pharisees and the Sadducees i mean yeah he's lambasting them but i mean it's nothing like you did john and so John, after a period of time in prison and, and getting these reports, he finally, and we can read this in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, he, 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 he sends some people from his, his own disciples and says, Are you the right one? Are you really the Messiah? Or should we look for somebody else? And here's what Jesus says, he, it's interesting, Jesus doesn't send some philosophical nonsense back. He doesn't say there's a lot of different ways to the mountain top of the mountain, John. You just got to, you know, hang with me there, buddy. He says this, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And tell John, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. You see, Jesus knew that John would understand two things about what Jesus said there. Number one, those miracles are evidence of the Messiah. The Messiah was going to work signs and wonders. And also, those words are a direct quote from the book of Isaiah, what the Messiah was going to do. And John knew all of those prophecies. So what Jesus was saying to John was, John, I understand. I understand that you thought I came with my winnowing fork in my hand, and I was going to judge everybody, and the good were going to be here, and the bad were going to be there, and you're good, and you're in jail. And the bad are ones that put you there, and that's the way it is for a time. John, anybody in the room who's doubting, just talked with a guy yesterday. He's very, very, very hurt because his child died, and he said, God didn't stop it. And that's right, God didn't stop it. And God doesn't stop a lot of bad things from happening and, and the man said to me, if God is good, wouldn't he stop these bad things? And I would like to look him in the eye and say, yes, he would. But ever since Adam and Eve chose to turn away from God, God has allowed us to do that. God has allowed us to take our own course. And when we take our own course, sometimes innocent people die. And, and couldn't God stop that? Yes, he could. But he doesn't sometimes. Sometimes he does and Sometimes he doesn't. And John was in prison and ultimately we know John got his head chopped off and he didn't do anything wrong. In fact, Jesus said there has never been a person born of a woman on the earth that's better than John. And yet John died in righteousness. And the sinner was the one who killed him. And so the point that Jesus was making to John is this is the time to seek and to save the lost. And when you're in this time of seeking and saving the lost... Sometimes the lost are doing things that lost people do. You know, it, it never never amazes me when sinners sin. It never does. <laughs> That's what we do when we're sinners. What amazes me is that after we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, and after we know him, and, and after he's in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, is that we still do. You know, sometimes whenever I sin, I go, how can I still do that? John, uh, I'm in good company now because that's what Paul asked in Romans chapter 7. You know, I don't do the things I want to do. I do the things I don't want to do. Who's going to deliver me from this body of sin? And the answer is in Romans 8. The answer is the spirit. And so this battle's going on. And we talk about this battle often here at New Life. And you can look it up in Galatians 5, 17 and following. This battle is going on. And this battle will go on until Jesus comes back. And the battle is that the old Chris Marshall is still fighting with the Holy Spirit inside of me. And so, you know, the the spirit wants to do good and and Chris Marshall, the sinner, wants to do bad. And who wins? The one I give leadership, lordship in my life. And when the Holy Spirit's in my life, I don't sin. And when the Holy Spirit and I say, you know, back off, he does. And then I do the, the things like spit in God's face, which is what we do when we're sinners and we turn away. And and I really, really, really wish that it would be so black and white that once we trust Jesus, we'll all just be good. And and when we don't trust Jesus, we'll all just be bad. So at least we know who's on which side. But I know sinners who are better than me. I mean, people who don't know Jesus who are better than me. And, And I know people who follow Jesus who I can't tell the difference. So John is in prison. And he says, Are you really him? I guess the proper grammar would be, Are you really he? (laughs) And Jesus says, Yep, I am. Not the way you expected. And many days we look out in the world and we go, It's not really what I thought it would be like if Jesus came. But when he comes the next time, it will be what you think it'll be like. It will, because he will have his winnowing fork in his hand. And he will separate out those who know him from those who don't. He said so himself in Matthew 25. He said, I'm going to come back and I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats. And what he meant by that is I'm going to separate those who know me from those who don't. And those who know me get to have a life that is truly life forever. And those who don't get to go and be doing what they got to do here on earth forever. Which is deny me and turn away from me. And and I, I don't really necessarily like that. I know many of you don't like that. But it's the way the, the word of God explains it. And so this is the good news. It's really, really good news is that he hasn't come back the second time yet. And so there's time. How much time? I don't know. You know, there are people out there today that say Jesus is coming back next Thursday or, you know, in February or in 2019. There were some people that were saying he was coming back in October. Huh, guess they were wrong. You know, the bottom line is for the last 2,000 years, there have been people who have been saying, Jesus is coming back next week, Jesus is coming back next year, Jesus is coming back in year 2000. Remember that one? Everybody was all ready for a Y2K? Hmm, now it's 2015. Still waiting, right? We're still waiting, but he is coming back. In fact, when the, when the disciples, right before Jesus went back to heaven, the disciples said, Jesus, is it now? Are you going to restore the kingdom now? Jesus said, don't know. In fact, nobody knows except the Father in heaven. So what did he say? Be ready. Huh. That's what we're going to talk about for the rest of the month. Are we ready? But I want to talk about something real quick as we close. If you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord right now, that means when he comes back, you will get to go and be with him forever. In the meantime, it means according to what John said, and I think John was right because it's the word of God, that there should be some evidence in our lives, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that will happen. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord right now, I, the time is counting. You know, if somebody said to me, do you think Jesus is coming back soon? A lot of people have been saying that to me because all the stuff that's going on in the world. Do you think Jesus is coming back soon? Sooner than ever before, Right. He said he was coming back soon, 2,000 years ago, and we don't think that's soon, but that's because we're not God. 2,000 years is a blink of an eye to Jesus, but he is coming back soon. So until Jesus comes back, we have the opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to trust him as our Savior, which saves us from sin and death and saves us from the wrath that's coming. And to say yes to him as Lord, which means he gets to own us. He gets to lead our lives for the rest of our lives. And, you know, that's one of the other lies out there in the world is, you know, a, a loving God wouldn't want us to have any boundaries. Life without boundaries is chaos. <laughs> chaos is not a good thing. Freedom always has boundaries. True freedom always has boundaries. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I've seen, I've seen chaos and I've seen freedom within limits. And Jesus said, when we know the truth, the truth sets us free. And the truth has boundaries. So the truth will set us free. Now, if you think I'm trying to scare you today, I'm not. I never try to scare anybody. What I'm seeking to do is be faithful to what the Bible teaches. That's what I do every single week. Because the truth is the truth, whether we believe it or not, that one day Jesus will return. And when he comes back, he has his winnowing fork in his hands. And if we don't know him, he will say, depart from me. I didn't know you. And if we do know him, he will say, come and be with me. So. Until he comes back. We have the opportunity to make that choice. Once he comes back. We don't. So right now. Do you or don't you? If yes, praise God. If no then this would be the time to say yes. Simple but not easy. Just say, come in, take over. I give you my life. I want you to be my Savior and Lord. And for the rest of your life, you will have this new life. This great adventure starts at that moment and it continues until one of two things happens, until Jesus comes back or until we go to see him. Mark Geppert, some of you know Mark Geppert. He's a great missionary. I love him very much. And all all the time people will say to him, do you think Jesus is coming back in this generation? He goes, I know for you, You get this generation, and that's it. Because whether he comes back now or whether you die, we all get one life. And when it's over, it's over for us. So, yes, he's coming in your generation for you. He's coming in my generation for me. But he might come back. If he doesn't in our lifetime, we will see him one way or the other. One way or the other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you give us the opportunity to escape the coming wrath. I thank you that you give us the opportunity for life that's truly life through your son Jesus. I thank you that this great adventure that we've been talking about this morning is a reality. And that we can live into it day by day by day. And I ask today, God, for anyone in the room who has never said yes to Jesus, never said yes to his lordship and salvation, that this would be the moment right now when they say yes. God, for those of us who have said yes, I pray that you would give us a new passion for living out this great adventure, for living in the power of your Holy Spirit so that we can be all you created us to be, that we can do the things that will bring you glory and honor, that will bring light to your world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.